0: This is the Berg's Eye View podcast. I'm John David Bennett, Dean of Curricular Innovation at Mercer'sburg Academy. In this month's edition, I interview Rob Porcarelli, class of 1987. Rob is the chief legal officer at Cendio, a young company that licenses software that helps eradicate pay disparity. In the interview, we talk about his work at Cendio and his time as assistant general counsel at Starbucks where he was responsible for labor, employment, and general litigation with a 15-year focus on pay equity. We also discussed his efforts at Starbucks that helped launch their military hiring initiative, which provided jobs for thousands who would serve. I'm just gonna begin with the first question and then we can riff from there. Rob, you're now working for a startup with an essential mission. What is Sindio's mission and how did your previous work inspire you to join them?
1: Yeah, I work at, Sindio is a startup based in Seattle we license software that helps companies identify and eradicate pay disparities due to gender or race or ethnicity i found it it's a little bit of a longer story so i don't know if you want to hear it uh, how i found it but um so i I had been at starbucks for much of my career um i was a labor and employment lawyer you know when i first showed up at starbucks when you're the new guy they always give you the work that no one else wanted to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and one of the bodies of work was the pay equity work because it was viewed as sort of radioactive, right? It, because no, with the, in the lawyer's eyes, no good can come of this. You're only gonna get sued by a bunch of women. It was really sort of, I think the view at that time. And so I did it and I approached the work with fear. And the way that you do pay equity work is you, you find a law firm, you, you, you find a labor economist, you outsource this work It takes three or four months and then they tell you they give you a report that says here pay these people this amount to fix these disparities that may be happening because of gender or race and it's not about you know paying people the same but it's ensuring that any differences are legitimately because of experience or uh, time and role or um, some educational background or performance legitimate Non-discriminatory factors unrelated to race or gender. So, so I did that for years, and I had uh, and my daughter at the time she was she's now fifteen she was she was actually in first grade uh, when she came home from uh, school and there was an assignment and it said uh, if you could do anything and be assured you would not fail what would it be and her answer was I would make girls as even as boys and and uh, so I asked Mariella, I was like what do you mean girls as even as boys and she said well and then she went on a riff she went on a riff. In all the ways in first grade that girls are not as even as boys, and she talked about wanting to play baseball versus softball. She wanted to play with girls, not boys. And why do they have the the girls soccer not on TV? The girls are better than the boys in soccer. This is before, by the way, the women uh, national team win. Uh, and so she had this long, like not angry, ten minute riff on on why she was not viewed as, as even as boys, and it it was a bit of a pivot for me. I mean, I went into work. And I, and I was asking some of my colleagues, I was like, hey, this whole thing, this this equity thing, you think it's legit? And I was, they were like, oh no, we think it's legit. So it, it forced, at that moment, I changed my attitude toward the work. I actually went at it not from the lawyer's perspective, which is how do I minimize harm, but instead leaned into it and found like, how do we actually find where the problems are? What was leading to those problems to begin with? And then what's the easiest way to fix it? I mean, I, and so in, in that way, then the company started, I have to say, I was fortunate that the company started leaning into the work too. And I had a colleague who came to me and said, hey, the, the Starbucks wants to go public with 100% pay equity. Um, so let's. what do you think? I said, that sounds great, we're not there. So it's not true, but it sounds like a great aspiration. And she asked, what does it take to be true? So we were talking about it. She had been a co-founder of a publicly traded company and she, her antenna were wiggling, and she said, "It takes all that." And I said, "Yeah, it, you do it by hand. You have to get lawyers and economists." And she's like, "We should do a startup." And I said, "That's not how it works." And she said, "That's exactly how it works." And I said, well, "What do you, what do you mean?" We started joking about this thing uh, long before you know I joined the company, and you know, serendipitously, you know, after. Couple of years of just sort of joking about what we called payfairy. thats what we actually called it. Um, the founder of this company was a lawyer I knew, and he, and he demoed this product for me, and and it's the Cindio product. And so I called up my friend. And I said, "Bad news. Someone invented our great idea. And she said, "No, that's that's really good news because the first couple of years of a startup are really terrible." <laughs> so, uh, long story short, I'll shorten it now. Um, she became the CEO of the company. And on the first, and said her first act was to hire me, and so I joined. uh, I joined in large part because of that career pivot that I made in one portion of my life around around pay equity.
0: So tell us exactly what it is that Syndeo provides.
1: The software helps. So it so that thing that I just described for you before, which is this three or four month process where you get a law firm and you 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 then throw money at a symptom. The software does all that real time. And more importantly, it not only does the math and all the work that lawyers take months to do in in seconds, It more importantly, the software identifies the underlying things that were driving the disparities to begin with. And in that way, you can zero in more quickly on the root causes so you can fix them. And you don't have to each year go play whack-a-mole. So what most companies will find Uh, is that they have to remediate. They have to pay money to to underrepresented groups because of race or gender each year. And they fix the same problems year after year after year. And it's expensive. More importantly for those people, they're out of money that, you know, if you miss, you know, let's say, J.D., you know, you're, you're underpaid by a thousand bucks. Think of the compounding impact of that over your career, right? In terms of future merit increases on top of that thousand bucks or 401k allotments and the savings and the compounding effect of all that. And so the software gets to the root causes so that you can fix them. And then what we also find is a number of customers are, you know, they're getting pushed by their, by their employees, right? To, um, to take a position and, and give transparency around where they are in, in terms of pay equity. And so the software helps them take what used to be viewed as a liability uh, or a career ender for a CEO and, and lean into it as a, as a brand enhancing strength where they can actually hold themselves out as an employer of choice because they ensure that they don't pay with regard to race or gender.
0: Well, let's circle back to Cindio in a moment, but let me ask you about your time at Mercersburg. Uh, while you were here, was there anyone whose influence well, stays with you now or perhaps even informs your work?
1: There were lots. I was I was at Mercerburg for three years. I, was, I came in as a 10th grader. I uh, lived in Kyle and had uh, Senior Rawhauser uh, as my Spanish uh, teacher for um, multiple years as well as he was he was the soccer coach. Um, and so I had a lot of exposure to Senior Rawhauser. He also coached my, my older brother who was there from 83 to 87. And uh, I still like... Mr. Rawhauser was, so I, I, you know, I had so much time with him in the classroom, in the field. And, you know, I came to respect, admire, and really sort of have so much adoration for him. Uh, he immediately comes to mind. And, and one thing in particular was, I, I recall him always saying, you know, th- what distinguishes, you know, folks who are excellent versus everyone else are tiny little things that they do, just extra little efforts, an extra five minutes here or there. An extra effort here. And I, and it wasn't even, so it, he made it sound easy. It was not going to be a monumental, monumental shift, but rather some, some little things that would help each of us uh, achieve excellence, whether it's playing soccer or, you know, learning Spanish or any other element of your life. He That's and I've had that amazing.
0: same conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what, how did he phrase it to you?
0: Very much the same way. In fact, he gave me this document that was essentially like a one-page explanation of this philosophy that he had found in some publication somewhere. During this, uh, during this pandemic, you know, when we had to make the shift last March, he's been a hero in all of this because he will readily admit that using digital technology is not something that he's terribly used to. For about the first, I'd say, 10 days or so, he and I spent a lot of time together and I was, as I was helping him and other members of the faculty make that pivot just, I mean, he was just like a little kid. He's, his eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I remember one day as I was walking away from his classroom down the hallway, he stepped out and said something, this is fun. Uh, anyway, it's he, he's been an inspiration. Great. I would wonder how he's
1: doing with with COVID and video because he's, he's maybe the most spatially aware person on the planet. So of course, as you know, like you've played, if you've ever played basketball with him, he has complete you think he has eyes in the back of his head. So I remember. I think he coached us during the during uh, Irving Marshall weekend. You know, he sees everything. And then, of course, that's certainly true in the soccer field, but it's especially true in the classroom. You, it, you heaven help you if you look at your watch in that <laughs> class. You are going to get called out. And I remember one of my classmates who I, who remained nameless looked at his watch, and and he said, "Hey, how, are we good? Are you are." You, you let me know, and every five minutes he would go back and he would say, hey, what time is it now, right? How much time we got? So, I, so what it forced though, of course, was you were present. You were acute, you, you better be leaning forward and into it. And you know, for 40 minutes as a teenager, that's not an easy thing to do to keep your attention focused on one thing. And he required it. And I remember I, I, I was a better student because of it, um, because of his vigilance. So besides Tom, uh, who else was there? So one who was never my teacher, but I certainly learned a lot from him was Tim Rockwell. Uh, I always appreciated the way in which um, uh, Mr. Rockwell, I guess I could call him Tim now that I'm adult, but I feel like it's inappropriate. Uh, he, he meted out punishment, but he did it in a way that still commanded respect. And so you, you, he, he could be a firm disciplinarian and yet uh, kind about it and and that was the first time I had seen that certainly at that age and Mm. and it's now I have greater appreciation for it being a parent myself but then also having been in corporate America for you know 30 plus years you can deliver bad news but do it still in a way that's respectful
0: yeah that's the best possible compliment for an educator Uh, can you tell us a story or two about specific ways Sindio has closed the pay gap?
1: Yeah, so um, it, it, it works. So so we have, you know, we're, we're, we're successful even though we're a startup, you know, now a couple years in we have over 100 um, large enterprise customers and, and, and just uh, ironically a half an hour ago, here's the most recent story It's I just heard from uh, another customer of ours who has about 3000 people It's a brand name that many of you would recommend or uh, recognize. And um, they, when they started their first year remediation was $1.4 million. The second year remediation was 1.2. And then most recently it was $300,000 by race and gender. What that means is the amount that they were paying to address pay disparities because of race and gender was over a million bucks in the first two years and then dropped over time that's real money in real people's pockets, right? That they were not paid because of race or because of gender. And I, you know, that's part of our mission is to ensure that um, we eradicate the pay equity gap. And that's money, like I said before, that's money in people's pockets that if you're not receiving has a significant compounding impact over time. And and you can just, you know, you can do math on that. And so I, I think all of us at the company when we heard that Half an hour ago, we feel pretty good that we're actually making an impact for people in their pocketbooks.
0: I've heard a lot about the address that you gave at your reunion. Something based on a Sebastian Younger book.
1: Yeah. Well, first, would you would you would you hear? We're not inviting that guy again. But I'm <laughs> no,
0: no. That it was a huge hit, and then I believe it's it was was it based on Younger's book Tribe? Is that right? And what was the central message? I, I had
1: been the the, the if you if you read the book. Um, you know, he's an anthropologist, truth, so it, it's a he's an author, but the, but the reality is he looks at the nature of people and interactions. And it's, I, there, were, there were parallels, he had come to Starbucks and he was talking about that book in the context of uh, veterans and veteran hiring. And so we, we had we just launched a, a veterans um, affinity group at Starbucks and, and then Starbucks got behind it and, and launched a, a veterans hiring um, initiative that, that was, I think, wildly successful. And so the parallels are, you know, the um, tribe was about how we are essentially tribal in nature. We are, we are, we, we work together in groups and that's been true since we evolved. And that still remains true even, even now his book was, was based upon his experience when he was deployed as a journalist uh, with um, army Rangers in Afghanistan, but it has, you know it's it's the it's it's not a it's not merely a veterans book so i would so if folks are you know like it has it has um, uh, application across uh, you know every field you know for us as humans and it's about how you know for for us in the for, for the military hiring initiative it was these folks you know they served they had intense experiences they 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 worked with others for whom it was a team before self and and the sense of it was like You might, you might hate the guy's guts next to you, but you, and I think there's a line in the book that says, you see that guy over there, I hate that guy, but I'd die for that guy. And it's a sense of, of devotedness to your, to your group that is around you. And when a lot of uh, active duty military get out and are transitioning, I mean, we, we know a lot about PTS and we know a lot about, you know, issues that veterans face when trying to reintegrate. In, into the workforce. But I think there's none greater than the disconnect they feel having lost their tribe and and need a new tribe. I mean, you think of ourselves like Mercer'sburg for many of us was a tribe. And then, and then for, you know, we, we go off to college and you make you have to find a new tribe, or you still, you still keep the connections of that tribe. And each one of those transitions can be very difficult, depending upon your connectedness to that tribe. How do we help veterans transition? And how can we weave them into the fabric of our lives and us into the fabric of their lives? And in that way, help them find a new tribe. And, and, and with the promise that like, don't think that you're doing them a favor. The reality is when you, when you incorporate these folks into your life, uh, in my own experience, I, you know, I find that I learn more from them than, I, than, than, um, than I'm teaching them. It's not as though they need mentorship, they just need a new tribe. Mm-hmm. That's what the discussion was. Mm-hmm. I was back at, I think my 30th, um, whenever that was. That's incredible that it's been 30 years. But I think that was the, the class in 1987, 30th reunion. So do the, do the math on whatever that was. when we when we launched the initiative at starbucks so it was wildly successful you know and we had secretary gates who then secretary gates who mm-hmm. was on the board mm-hmm. and he um at starbucks and he he launched it. it was on veterans day in 2013 at starbucks and we announced like a hiring goal and you know um there was interviews and those of us who helped launch were you know feeling really good about it and then and then the fanfare dies and i remember uh, our first um uh, military, the, the medically retired Green Beret, um, uh, kid who was a 17 year old, uh, dropout, Eight, actually eighth grade dropout, 17 year old enlistee because he emancipated from his parents, straightened out his life, became, you know, in, incredible human, very successful Green Beret until his leg injuries. He gets medically retired and starts at Starbucks. So you remember him walking into my office and he sat there for a couple hours and we talked and he walked out and I was scared as hell because it, I remember thinking, what the hell have we just done? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just launched this initiative and everyone felt good. And I felt great about it. And I thought I had, I had nothing in con in common with that fellow. How can we possibly, we are not repair, prepared for the folks who are about to show up on our doorstep. We need to be, but I remember actually the elation was quickly replaced by fear and, um, and so it, I share that just because uh, I didn't know what to do. So what I, I did, I just spent a lot of time with this guy uh, and then and, and as many as I could. But this fellow in particular ended up uh, becoming hes still now one of my best friends. Hmm. Starbucks is about scale. It went, it wanted it, The first goal was 10,000 vets and then 15,000. And since then, it's blown past 25,000 vets hired. Uh, for me, that's fine. For me, it was always a scale of one. Um, and so uh, I, I, I dealt with that fear by figuring out that, I, why don't I figure out all I can about this fellow? And what I learned was um, he didn't need my mentorship. I learned a ton from him and he became friends with, he, we, uh, they're, he and his wife are now married. We're close family friends. He knows my, my boy adores him, looks up to him as a hero. And in that way, that's what I meant by sort of weaving into the fabric of your life. Mm-hmm. That guy now has successfully transitioned and is doing great. But I have to say, I've learned more from him, I think, than he's than he's learned from me.
0: What was your role specifically in Starbucks Veterans Initiative?
1: Um, a, a friend and I had started the uh, Affinity Group. Uh, okay. So we, you know, there were there were all these other affinity groups. There was the Women's Development Network and the Black Partners. And um, there's the affinity group for folks with disabilities and some others, and and this was um, around 2006. I mean, we were still sort of pre-surge, um, but I think uh, this other fellow, who's a friend, he was an army vet, already anticipating, you know, sort of at some point after the surge, we're gonna folks are gonna come out uh, and and be hitting the the shores, so to speak, you know, looking for jobs. So we started a, a vets group, and um, and then you know two became four became Eight, 16, mm-hmm. and you keep doing the math. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it kept growing. It was pretty organic. And then uh, and then at some point caught the attention of uh, senior leadership and thank goodness, I mean, in, in particular, the CEO, Howard Schultz, uh, his dad had served in World War II. We didn't realize that he had a particular affinity uh, for uh, active duty military and veterans. And so once, uh, once, the CEO smiled upon us. We, you know, uh, we were, we became super sexy. So the <laughs> company put its resources and muscle behind us. And mm-hmm. you know, like I said, the rest is, we had Secretary Gates on the board and- uh,
0: That's amazing. You, well, yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty rewarding. That was Rob Porcarelli, class of 1987. Thank you to Jim Bradley and Tim Crouch for their help producing this podcast. And special thanks to Brian Morgan, class of 07, and Maddie Norris, class of 21, for writing and recording the music. If you have a classmate who's making a difference and you'd like to nominate them for an appearance on the Bergs Eye View podcast, send an email to alumni at mercersburg.edu.